We have been talking about faith as the victory. And after we talked about the fact that faith is our relationship with God, my God and I, and after talking about the fact that Jesus is the object of our faith, each of our evening lessons have focused on Hebrews chapter 11. And we have been talking about how we can run with the winners. Hebrews 11 is God's hall of fame of faith. We can run with those winners. We have talked about Abel. We've talked about Enoch. We've talked about Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, so many others. Verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and of Samuel of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Each of the people were winners. Each had victorious faith. But notice at the word others in verse 35 that there is very much a turning point in this great Hall of Fame chapter. Now at the end of the chapter, we see the other side of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 lists some winners who appeared to be losers. They suffered. And they did not receive escape. Did God fail them? No. Did they fail God? An emphatic no. These unnamed heroes glorified God as much as those in the first 35 verses glorified God. Those mentioned earlier glorified God by their escaping. But these that we study this evening glorified God by their enduring. I mentioned last evening that this lesson is rated mature. It is for those who are mature in the faith. Tonight we look at the other side of faith. And we're going to see two important lessons. But first of all, let's read through it. In verse 35, beginning with the word others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves. 
of the earth. Tonight, as we look at the other side of faith, consider these two lessons from the other side. Lesson number one is that a life of faith is costly. Now we're going to see that with the word others and on from verse 35. But I don't want to leave the impression that the life of faith was not costly to those in the first 35 verses. Abel, mentioned in verse 4, lost his life. Abraham and Sarah, verse 8, gave up their home. And they were willing to sacrifice their son, in verse 17. Moses sacrificed the treasures and the pleasures of Egypt, verses 24 through 27. David is mentioned in 32. You'll remember how Saul persecuted him. The prophets are mentioned at the end of verse 32. And if you have studied the prophets of old, you know how many of them sacrificed and suffered for their faithfulness to God. But in spite of these things, for the most part, the people that we read about in the first 35 verses, we see God doing wonderful things for them. They, in effect, rode off into the sunset. They looked like winners. But then you come to that word others in verse 35. Now scan closely the verses that follow that word and note that there is a whole new vocabulary. How many of God's faithful have been tortured? Notice that word in verse 35. How many of God's faithful have been mocked and beaten? Verse 36 tells others had trials of mockings and scourgings. How many of God's faithful were put in chains and were imprisoned? Verse 36. How many of God's faithful died? Some of them were stoned. Some of them were sawed in half. Some of them were slain by the sword. How many of God's faithful were deprived and hurt? Verse 36 says, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. How many of God's faithful were treated brutally and had to flee verse 38 says they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth quite a vocabulary isn't it and what examples they are to us we read about that and does it make us uncomfortable most of us living in our middle class level of comfort can't even begin to fathom what we are reading in those verses. 
But oh, what an example. People who are willing to deny, not to deny their faith, but to sacrifice their lives rather than deny their faith. Now, I want you to notice that release was available. Notice in verse 35 it says, not accepting deliverance. They could have escaped. And it was a temptation to do so. Notice in verse 37 it says, between being stoned and sawn asunder and slain with a sword, they were tempted. They were given the option of renouncing their faith and living or standing in their faith and dying. They didn't choose life. If you will notice at the end of verse 35, they chose a better resurrection. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. As we mentioned an evening or two before, these people live by faith. They live for the future. They lived with eternal values. And that's what we must do. Let's go back to verse 13 and read these verses again. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Talking about the promises that God had made for them. They didn't see them all realized in their lifetime. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. As I said, they live for the future. They lived by eternal values. They would not sacrifice the permanent for the temporal. They would not sacrifice heaven's treasure for the earth's trash. I want us to appreciate the fact that as we read about the cruel punishment they endured, that we are not talking about criminals who are being chastened by society. When we're talking about people who were forced almost to live as animals, we're not talking about people that were mean or cruel. We are talking about God's faithful. Verse 37, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. But notice in verse 38 what I left out. The world wasn't worthy of them. And you go back and you look at verse 16, and it says, God was not ashamed to be called their God. 
What a marvelous example of faith. A life of faith is very costly. When we read about that, I apologize for not turning the slide quicker. When we read about these things, how does that make us feel? How do we compare? You know, we live in a day and time when there are people who stay away from the church because of a hangnail. It's always amazed me how 20 drops of water can keep 30 people away from church. Haven't figured that one out yet. Well, maybe I have. For the most part, we live in a society, we live in a world where the church is pretty much protected or has been up to this point, and even pampered. And the biggest enemies that we face in the church today are things like complacency and conformity, smugness and softness. Someone much wiser than I observed, and I think correctly so, that prosperity is a greater enemy of the church today than persecution was in the first century. Think about that. We have a hard time associating with our brother in Christ who sweeps the streets of Moscow. That's his job. If he were willing to renounce his faith, they would return him to his prior position of being a head professor in a university. But because he won't deny his faith, he sweeps streets. We cannot identify, appreciate what Dina and Anna and Natalia face in a prison camp right now because they had the audacity to teach the Bible to a group of children. We can't appreciate that. The pampered church in America may one day become the persecuted church. You see how things are going, don't you? And then we will see who the men and the women of faith really are. Will you stand? Do you have a faith worth suffering for? What are you willing to sacrifice for your faith? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Stand fast in the faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It talks to us about standing fast in the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, we must endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. It costs to follow Jesus. I ask that you turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 14. And the text to which I'm about to refer is in verses 25 through 33. 
It was during the ministry of Jesus at the time when his ministry was quite popular. And you will find in verse 25 that a great multitude went with him. You know what happened? Jesus stopped, turned to that multitude, and talked to them about counting the cost of following him. If anyone comes to me, verse 26, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's a Hebraism, a Hebrew form of speech that's saying you've got to love the Lord more than you love anybody. He continues, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's talking about us counting the cost to follow Jesus. And he illustrates it. He illustrates it first with a builder. Here's a man that's going to build a tower. Now, before he builds that tower, he better sit down and count the cost. Else he'll start the project, he won't be able to finish it, and he'll be embarrassed. And then he illustrates with a king. A king who is contemplating going to war. But before he goes to war, he better sit down and count the cost of that. Whether he's able to go with 10,000 men against a king that has 20,000 men, or whether he needs to seek peace with that king. Got to count the cost. He illustrates it twice. And then in verse 33, he drives the point home. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. It costs to follow Jesus. A life of faith is a costly life. And let me say this to you. The faith that doesn't cost anything isn't worth anything. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many times have you heard it quoted? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Living sacrifices. For the mature. Jesus wants us all to count the cost. A life of faith, very costly. You can see it in Hebrews 11. But now let's move to lesson number two. And that is that a life of faith is rewarding. From a human standpoint, these people that we read about in verses 35 through 38, from a human standpoint, these suffering people were failures from a human standpoint. Can't you just hear somebody say, well, you know, if they'd been less fanatical about their faith, they could have amounted to something in this world. Can't you just say, hear somebody say, well, how foolish 
to pay such a price to receive so little in return? Time out. What did they receive in return? God made them, verse 38, men and women of whom the world was not worthy. Yes, they were rejected by society. Yes, they were laughed at. Yes, they were ridiculed. Yes, they were hurt. And yes, they were killed. Yes, while the unbelievers were basking in luxury, they were struggling just to stay alive. Wandering in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute of just trying to stay alive. Yes, they look like failures. But move forward a hundred years. Or two hundred years. Now what do you think about them? A hundred years after they were in this world, Yes, in this world, they look like failures. But a hundred years after they left this world, what they Think about that. You know, Hebrews 11 to me, that's a list of my heroes. How about yours? Amen? Man, that's my heroes. You know, the tragic thing in our world today, the tragic thing in America today is... Our world doesn't realize who the real heroes are. Who our society views as heroes is frightening. Madonna? Ellen the Degenerate? That's her name, isn't it? Johnny Depp? Gene Simmons? The Kardashians? You gotta be kidding. It's scary to think about the heroes of the world today. We need to think about who our heroes are. Now I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 23 with me. I want you to notice something here. And I'm gonna make an application. You, you may not like it, but I'm going to leave anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> Jesus condemned the Pharisees because they built monuments to the righteous of the past, but they killed people that were just as worthy. In Matthew 23 and verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. You see what's going on? They build monuments to the righteous of the past what are they fixing to do? Crucify the very Son of God. 
Folks, I think we do the same thing today to a degree in the church with our preachers. We laud our preachers of the past for the stand they took for the truth. Sometimes today we mistreat and we fire our preachers for taking the stand for truth. We ought to think about that. Too many today don't understand that the preacher and the teacher and the elder's job is to teach the truth, to stand for the truth. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, preach the word. Be in season and out of season. Brother Keeble says that means preach it when they like it and when they don't like it. You would think the way some people react to the preaching of the gospel, you would think, I would think that the way some people react to when I preach the gospel, that I have a choice. I don't have a choice. I've got to preach the gospel, right? Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. We've got to preach that gospel. And brothers and sisters, when we surrender that, we surrender our identity as the people of God. Too many today have itching ears. Don't want to be confronted with sin. I want you to turn to some passages with me in the book of Isaiah. Look in Isaiah chapter 30. It sounds as if he was describing our day. In Isaiah chapter 30, let's begin in verse 8. Now go, write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seer, do not see, and to the prophet, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceit, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Now that's where a lot of people are today. We must keep teaching the truth. Back up a few chapters, Isaiah chapter 5, and look at verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is that not happening in America right now? And then turn to Jeremiah 6 and look at verse 16. Next book, 6th chapter, 16th verse. Thus says the Lord. Stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Too many people got itching ears today. Too many people just shut their ears to the truth today. I'm thankful you're not that way. Now I want to ask you another question. Since I'm flying over, I might as well drop this bomb too, okay? Do you want to be entertained or do you want to serve God? I know we live in an entertainment mentality. 
Everything today is about entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. But the church is not about entertainment. We're about serving the Lord. And the greatest among you, Jesus said, will be your inter... No, he didn't say entertainer. He said your servant. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26. We need, brothers and sisters, to respect and hold up the hands of those who stand for God, whether it's preachers or it's elders or it's teachers or it's just members of the congregation, who are our heroes in the congregation? Hebrews 11 verse 16 says, concerning those that are faithful, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Now I want to make this point before we move to our conclusion. The wonderful thing about these others on the other side of faith, those who did not escape, but those who endured because of their faith, they knew that they had God's approval. You know, the who's who and the social register and the popularity polls are going to pass away. But in 1 John 2, 17, John says, He who does the will of God abides forever. Knowing that we are right with God is what gives us the strength to endure whatever we must endure for God. In Matthew 10, the master said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now turn with me back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Oh, I'm sure this wouldn't be politically correct in a lot of pulpits today, but Jesus taught it in the greatest sermon ever preached. If you have to suffer because of your faith, that puts you in some mighty good company. In Matthew chapter 5, remember those Beatitudes? Look at the last of them. In verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. My grandparents, my dad's parents, lived in the Rocky Mountain community of Macon County. Anybody know where that is? almost within sight of the Mount Pleasant church building. I can remember as a boy when I would be there at my grandparents, sometimes waking up in the early morning, hearing my grandmother out in the garden and hearing her sing, heaven will surely be worth it all. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy 
to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so tonight we've learned two lessons from the other side of faith. That a life of faith is costly. But a life of faith is rewarding. Now, I want to put that together in application. You can't have the crown without the cross. There is a crown. It is a crown of life to the faithful, Revelation 2 verse 10. It is a crown of life to those who endure temptation, James 1 verse 12. It is a crown of glory, 1 Peter 5 verse 4, to those who faithfully serve God. It is a crown of righteousness to those who run the race of faith, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. There is a crown. But there is also a cross. Back in that text in Luke chapter 14 in verse 27, Jesus said, whoever, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In Luke 9 and 23, Jesus said to them all, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Folks, there is a crown. But there is also a cross. So I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. I'm going to tell you that a life of faith is costly. Everything, it costs you everything that you have. Again, Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Life of faith is costly, but it is the most rewarding, precious, wonderful life that there is. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. And so tonight, the choice is yours. You can walk away, or you can follow by faith. But it takes faith to live that kind of life. Are you willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? I'll tell you a story, and the lesson is yours. A young man named Isaac Watt, born in Southampton, England, in 1674. Isaac Watt wrote over 750 different hymns. Watt himself was only about five foot tall. 
and he struggled with severe health issues all of his life. As a young man, when he was struggling with health issues, Thomas Abbey, Sir Thomas Abbey, invited him to stay with him a week in his home. He ended up staying 36 years. How's that for overstaying you welcome? Well, actually, you didn't, but he stayed with Abbey for 36 years. Matthew Arnold said that he is perhaps the greatest hymnist of all time. That was his view, and some would agree with that. When Isaac Watt was just a very young man, he grew very tired of the old stale songs they were singing in their worship services, and he complained to his father. And his father, in effect, said, well, Isaac, if you don't like them, then write some better. He did. One of his first, I think the first, I'm not sure about that, but one of his first was the song. He said, we need songs that make us think. And he wrote the song, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? You know what the second verse of that song asks? You think about these on the other side of faith in Hebrews 11 as I read these words. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease when others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. One thing that makes me appreciate that verse of that song is knowing a little history about Isaac Watts' life. His father fought the state religion of their day. He was in prison for two very lengthy terms. And his wife, Isaac's mother, brought him as a small child in arms to visit his dad who was in prison because of what he believed. Must we be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. Am I a soldier of the cross? Am I willing to pay the price? Will I carry the cross so that I can wear the crown? I truly hope that this series has been faith building to you and I hope tonight, if you're not a Christian, this last opportunity of this gospel meeting, I hope that you will step out and before this good number of people confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized into his death where his blood will wash away your sins tonight. You have the choice. You can walk away or you can follow. Brothers and sisters, let's be soldiers of the cross, and let's do it by our faith.